Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Well, take your Bibles. That's our family talk. We're moving out of the living room now, and we're moving into the auditorium here, the worship space, and uh, we are going to turn our attention and turn our gaze to God's Word. We're in a series that we are calling Gospel on the Ground because we want the gospel not just to be something that we know, but something that we do, something that affects every area of our life. So what does the gospel look like when it gets traction in your life? That's what Pastor James has been teaching us through this letter. This letter has been written to first generation, first century Jewish Christians. Think about this. There had never been Christians before this group of hearers that's receiving this letter because Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. This is like the first group of people that put faith in the risen Christ. And so this gospel is brand new. We've had like 2,000 years to kind of figure it out and flesh it out a little bit. This was brand new for them. This way of relating to God was something that they had never experienced before. And so James, who is a pastor in Jerusalem, is writing to these Christians, these Jewish Christians, and he's just, he's trying to help them to understand the what and the how of the gospel. So we're calling it Gospel on the Ground. The title of this particular message is called Gospel Flourishing. Gospel Flourishing. Now, do I have any green thumb people in here today? Any green thumb people, like everything that you plant sprouts? Nobody? One and a half. Okay, good. Then we need this message. We need some flourishing in our life. So whether or not you are a green thumb person, right, the, the, the desire that you have when you plant something into the ground is that it's going to grow. Nobody plants seed and is like, you know what, I don't really care whether or not that comes out of the ground. Like you wouldn't have even planted it. You wouldn't have really cared to take the time to do that. Amy, she didn't raise her hand, but she's got a green thumb. I think she's got a green thumb. She's always been a gardener. She's always had a garden ever since we were first married. At our first house, we had a little raised flower bed in the backyard. It wasn't very much. But she went back and she tilled it and she planted it and she watered it and she saw a harvest from that. We moved to another house across town. We had a little bit more acreage there and I built two raised garden beds for her and she, she worked those gardens and she irrigated those gardens. Then we moved here to Chandler to the Phoenix area. And she's got a little patch in the backyard that she's worked and she's, she's watering it and she's, she's weeding it and she's giving attention to it. But here's the thing, her gardens have always been desert gardens. Where we lived in Southern California was a desert, now we're in a desert. We visited her family in the Midwest a couple of years ago, and she's got a sister there in Iowa, in Des Moines, just outside of Des Moines, Iowa. And I remember one day, she's like, yeah, I planted a garden, I haven't really paid much attention to it, it's in the backyard. So we go out to this garden in the backyard, and it is just like overflowing with luscious fruit. Because you know what happens? In Iowa, that doesn't happen as much in Phoenix. This stuff falls from the sky that's wet. It's called rain. Like you don't hardly even have to try, it seems, in the Midwest. You just kind of throw the seeds out there and the rain comes and like all of a sudden there's these luscious red tomatoes. But again, it doesn't matter if you're planting a desert garden or a Midwestern garden that's got rain coming down from the sky. When you plant a garden, you expect 
fruit. You expect that it's going to grow. You want it. You, you desire for it to flourish and for it to grow. God has planted the gospel into you. We learned about that in verse 18 last week. The gospel's been planted. And you know what God desires to see in your life? Flourishing. God doesn't plant gardens that he doesn't expect and intend to see flourish and grow. So what we're going to see in our text today in James chapter 1 is how God flourishes the gospel in your life. The means by which growth takes place. I want you to see it with me. Look at chapter 1, James chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 19. We're going to read down through verse 25. So a little bit of a lengthier passage today. James 1.19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, or brothers and sisters, it's a generic term. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But... Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres or continues being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. He will be fulfilled and enriched in his doing. Here's the big idea that sits over top of this text this morning. Gospel flourishing happens when I respond properly to the word. Gospel flourishing in your life will begin to happen when you respond properly to the word. So the question becomes, well, what are those proper responses to the word whereby I can grow and flourish? That's what we want to look at today. I don't know if you ever had in school your teacher, maybe you took a test, and they said to you, okay, we're, we're going to grade the test, but we're going to do it a little differently today. You, you're going you're gonna to grade your own test. I always loved when the teacher did that because there was no shame in maybe how poorly I did on that test. So we're going to do some of that today. We're going to do some self-grading before we dive into this text. I want you to grade yourself. I want to ask you three questions, and I want you to grade yourself based on these questions. The first question is this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you grade your current relationship with God? Now be honest. The only wrong answer is a dishonest answer. How would you self-grade yourself on your current relationship with God, scale of 1 to 10. If you're, on like, if you're like on the 10 side of that scale, you know, you wake up and have coffee with the Holy Spirit every morning. The Shekinah glory like descends with your alarm clock and wakes you up. Like maybe that's you. Maybe you're like a 7 or an 8. You're like, it's, it's strong. It's good. But there's obviously some, there's room for growth. There's room for improvement. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're down towards that lower end. You're a, you're a three or a four and your faith in God is starting to feel like duty, obligation. You look at other people and you think, man, God's working in their life, but I don't know that God's really doing much in me. Maybe you're starting to feel like you're wilting or maybe you're even all the way down and you're at that one. You're just barely on the scale. 
Like you've got your fire insurance, your get out of hell free card. Like you, you know that you're a follower of Jesus, but that's about it. There's nothing much going on there. How would you grade yourself? That's my first question. My second question, and again, this is just you. What direction is that relationship moving? If you're like, okay, I'm a six, okay, that relationship isn't static. It's moving a direction. It's either, there's a, either a deterioration away or there's a growth towards flourishing. So what direction is it moving? And then my third question is, what's moving the dial? What's influencing either the growth or the deterioration in your life? Now my point of that self-grading exercise is not to make you feel bad about where you are or where you would like to be, but for you to understand that God wants to see growth in your life. God wants you to flourish. He doesn't plant gardens that he doesn't intend to see flourish. And so he has planted the seed of the gospel into you, and he expects and desires to see that grow. And so what he's going to share with us today through Pastor James is the means by which that flourishing takes place, and it is the word. It is the word. So gospel flourishing happens when I respond properly to the word. So what are the proper responses to the word that lead to gospel flourishing in my life? That's what we're going to study today. There are three of them. Three proper responses. If you're keeping notes, you can write these down. It's going to look like this. I respond properly to the word when, number one, I give it entrance. I give the word entrance. Look at verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Know this. Well, know what, James? He's referring back to verse 18. Look at verse 18. This is from last week. Of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his cre creatures. Knowing this, knowing that God has birthed you, that, that phrase brought us forth is the birth, it is the new birth that takes place when the gospel is planted in you. So knowing that God has brought us forth by new birth, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. God wants growth in your life. This salvation, this new birth. One scholar put it this way. James is wanting us to move from new birth to new life. God doesn't just plant the gospel and then leave that seed. He wants that seed to grow and he wants that seed to flourish. But you've got to give it entrance. You have to have the right attitude. You have to just let it in. You've got to let it in. And it really is all about your attitude towards the word. Do your kids, if you've got kids this morning, or maybe your grandkids, do your kids ever have a bad attitude? Is it just mine? <laughs> what, what does a bad attitude look like? Well, a bad attitude looks like slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger, doesn't it? I don't want to listen to what you have to say. I want to speak my mind. I want to speak my words over what you're saying. And usually that conversation amps up pretty quickly and words are flying and sometimes toys are flying and anger starts demonstrating itself. That's what a bad attitude looks like. What James is calling us to do is have the right attitude towards the word. When he says, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, this is not proverbial. 
This is the word and my attitude towards the word. Now other scripts, scriptures speak of that proverbial communication and how we should respond to other people, but this is specifically speaking of the word. I'm to be quick to hear the word. I'm to be slow to speak against it. And I'm to be slow to get angry at it. Do you ever argue with God? Do you ever have a bad attitude with God? You ever read his word and you're like, you know what, God, I'm not sure about that one. I don't really know if I'm good with that one. Can we talk about this a little bit? James is saying, slow down. You want to have the right attitude. You've got to give the word entrance into your life, possessing the right attitude towards it. Why? Because a bad attitude, the wrong response, doesn't produce flourishing. Look at what he says in verse 20. The anger of man does not produce or does not accomplish, notice the next phrase, the righteousness of God. Now what is that righteousness? If you're a student of the Word, if you've you've dug into the book of Romans, you know that Paul, who's another writer in the Bible, talks about our right standing with God, the righteousness that we have because of the work of Jesus. We are justified before God. That's not this righteousness. As a matter of fact, Paul hadn't even written the book of Romans yet. James does not have Paul's righteousness in mind. James has Jesus' righteousness in mind. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, I'll put it on the screen here. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, there it is, for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. A few verses later in verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he's not speaking of a positional righteousness before God. He is speaking of a life that is a reflection of the good character of God. And so anger does not produce the kind of a flourishing life that is a reflection of the character of God. Right living, if you will. So if you want to flourish in your relationship with God, you've got to let the word in. You've got to have the right attitude. You're not resisting it. You're not trying to speak over it. You're hearing it. You're receiving it. You're letting it in. Just like a plant needs to allow the sun in in order for there to be growth, you have to allow that exposure to the Word. So let me ask you this morning, what what habits do you have in your life that allow the Word in? A habit is something that becomes a habit and becomes a pattern in your life over time and through repetition. Something becomes a habit, not because you do it one time, but because you're doing it over and over and over and over again. So what habits in your life are allowing the word entrance into your life? Preaching allows the word in. I would call this proclamation. Preaching is pretty unique. There are very few venues and situations that you will be in when someone will stand up and do what I'm doing. It is the proclamation. It's been called truth on fire, preaching. That is one way to let the word in. There's another way, life groups. I call this integration. Integration. This is where the word has been proclaimed. There's been the proclamation on Sunday. Now we're going to sit around in a smaller group on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night or a Monday night, and we're going to integrate it. We're going to to work it in a little bit. We're going to tease it out. We're going to ask some questions. We're going to make application. Then there are podcasts and books. I call this explanation. 
men and women who are theologians of the word and they can take you really, really deep? Are you consuming content that gets below the surface? Explanation. And then number four, there's personal study. I call this meditation. Your personal study. And let me just say that nothing replaces you meditating on the Word of God. Now, the world defines meditation as emptying your mind. That is not biblical meditation. You are not sitting down and meditating and emptying your mind. You are sitting down and filling your mind with Christ and His truth and His Spirit and His gospel. Meditating on the Word, just soaking in it. What are the habits in your life that are letting the Word in? Could I, could I give you maybe some advice when it comes to your personal study, your personal time in God's Word? Number one, determine a time. When? When's it going to happen? When are you going to sit down and get your eyes on the Scriptures? It doesn't have to be a lengthy amount of time, but there needs to be a time. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's on your lunch break. Maybe it's in the evening. There's not a right time or a wrong time. There just needs to be a time. So determine a time. Then number two, determine a place. There's something about a habit when you just go to the same chair or the same desk or the same spot or the same coffee shop over and over and over. It just helps to produce that habit in your life. When I sit in this chair at this time to open the Word, I am, I'm creating a new spiritual discipline in my life. Determine a time, determine a place, and then determine a plan. You've got to have a plan. You might, you might use the, the uh, YouVersion app, which is a great resource. You might find a Bible reading plan. You might determine a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament. You might, you might just sit in the Gospels. Just, there are plans that you can incorporate that will help you just to know what you're going to do when you sit down. Because if you don't have a plan, you kind of sit down and the Bible's a little daunting. It's like, man, this is a big book. Where do I start? And if every day you just sort of open up and like point and read, you're just kind of dropping in. You're just kind of like parachuting in out of nowhere. And it, you're not going to have as much context and understanding. And you're probably going to get discouraged. So get a plan. Determine a time, determine a place, determine a plan. And then if I could encourage you from James, slow down. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Sometimes the word is confrontational. Sometimes the word kind of gets all up in our business. Sometimes the word reveals some stuff that we've been hiding in the dark and it brings it into the light. Respond properly to it. I don't know if you've ever locked yourself out of your car or out of your house, but that's a pretty humiliating experience, isn't it? Like, I own this car, and my keys are on the inside, and it's locked. I can't even get into what I own. This house, like, I pay the mortgage. I pay the rent on this place, and I can't even get into it. I look like a thief climbing through a side window. It's, it's humiliating, and it's discouraging. Understand that when God planted the gospel in you, he now owns you. Verse 18, by his own will, he brought you forth by the word of truth. That is the word of the gospel. Listen, don't lock out the word. Let the word in. Give it entrance into your life. If you're just thinking, man, I want to flourish, I want to grow, I've not been seeing that in my life, where do I start? Start with just letting it in. And then number two, I respond properly to the word, not just when I give it entrance, but then when I, number two, let it cultivate. When I let it cultivate, when I let it go deep. 
take root, germinate. It's not just a surface reading. It's not just I check something off a list of things I need to do. But no, I want to sit in this. I want to soak in this. I want this word to start getting into me. Look at verse 21. This is what happens when it starts to cultivate. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So first, you've got to clear the soil. You've got to clear the soil. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, there is an already not yet tension in this truth that James is communicating to us this morning. Already, Christ has once for all died for our sins and removed it. You are clean. You are pure. You are holy. But there's also this not yet tension where we are growing and we are, we are being sanctified and we are becoming more and more who we already are. And so, yes, all of the wickedness and all of the filth of our past and of our sin has been removed. And yet in the day-to-day, we're still kind of picking up some of the mud from the world on our shoes. And so there is this responsibility to work out what God has worked in. One of James's contemporaries, Peter, said it like this. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Then he says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. This is the clearing of the soil. It's the, it's, the, it's the removing of the weeds. It's the removing of the rocks that would get in the way. Allowing God to do a deep work in you of purification. He kind of mixes metaphors here. He's talking about gardening and planting. And now all of a sudden, he kind of goes into the dressing room and he says, take off this garment is essentially what he's saying. Put away means to take off an article of clothing. The filthiness that he speaks of, that noun is the same adjective form found in chapter 2, verse 2, when it talks about the soiled garments of the poor. The filthy clothing, take that off. Then he says the rampant wickedness, which is the overabundance of moral depravity. If the word is not taking root in your life, maybe it's because there are some weeds and some rocks that have taken root. And so allow the word not just to come in, but then allow it to cultivate and allow it to remove and allow it to sanctify and allow it to reveal some of those things to you that the Spirit of God wants to continue to change. And then, he says, allow the word to be planted. Receive the word that has been planted in you. Look at what he says. This is really cool, verse 21. Don't miss what he's saying. Verse 21, right in the middle, he says, receive... With meekness, the implanted word. Now, is he talking to believers or unbelievers? Believers. He's telling believers because you can't be an unbeliever and possess the implanted word. He's speaking to believers and he's saying, I want you to receive what has already been planted. In other words, I want you to appropriate this gospel. The gospel has been planted in you, but I want you to let it take root and start to cultivate and start to change you on the inside. Let me explain it a different way. Americans collectively have $21 billion of unused gift cards. It's a lot of money. Maybe you've got some of that money in your wallet right now. $21 billion of unused gift cards. That means somebody went out, purchased a gift card, 
gave it as a gift to you or to somebody else, and it went unused. Understand that the gospel has been purchased. It has been freely given, but are you using it? In other words, are you receiving it? Are you appropriating it? Yes, you have it. I'm not implying that it can be lost. Yes, you have it. It's been planted in you. Verse 18, God did that of his own will. But are you letting it cultivate? Are you letting it change you? Are you letting it shape the way that you live? The gospel isn't done saving you. Now, I know that might sound strange. But in verse 21, when he says, which is able to save your souls, he's talking about the continual rescuing and deliverance of the gospel. There is a salvation that is past, there is a salvation that is present, and there is a salvation that is yet to come through the gospel. The past salvation is what Christ accomplished for you, and by faith in Jesus alone, it is yours freely and forever. There is the continual salvation today that the gospel is continuing to work out in your life. And there is the one day eschatological truth that Jesus is coming again to save you and to rescue you from the very presence of sin. This is the gospel which is able to save. But you've got to have the right attitude towards it. You've got to want it. Look at what he says there at the end of verse 21. Actually, it's right in the middle. He says, receive with meekness. Contrast this attitude of meekness with the attitude from verse 21, um, or from verse 19. When someone is not being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, this is the right response, that of humility, that of meekness. Not just letting it in, but then giving it entrance to begin to cultivate. And here's the reality. You're going to have to recognize your need for the Word, and then you're going to have to surrender to its work in your life. It's not enough to just hear it. You've got to say, okay, God, what you said, I'm going to let it sink deep. I'm going to let it start to change. I'm going to let it start to transform me. So if you want to flourish, which God desires that in your life, but if you want to flourish, you have to let the Word take over. You've got to let it take root in your heart and in your life. In Matthew 13, there is a parable there that Jesus shares of the sower. And that sower, there are four different responses to the seed that is sown. Some of that seed falls on the path and the birds come along and they snatch it away and they eat that seed. Some seed falls on the rocky ground and, and, and because it, there's no soil there, it's not able to take root and the sun comes and it scorches it. And some seed falls among thorns and it begins to sprout and the thorns kind of choke it out. It's not able to really flourish. And then other seed falls on good soil and it does take root and it does germinate and it starts to grow. That, that needs to be the kind of a response that we have to the Word, letting it cultivate in our hearts. So what does it look like when the, when the Word doesn't just enter, but it starts to cultivate? This looks like progress, not perfection. It looks like on that sliding scale, you might be at a four, but you know that the Spirit of God through His Word is moving you to a five. So it's not perfection, but it is progress. What does it look like when the Word starts to cultivate? It looks like our new identity becoming our primary identity. You have other identities. You are not just a Christian. You might be a husband or a wife or a parent or a student 
or an employee. You have other identities, but when the gospel takes root and then starts to cultivate and flourish in your life, your identity as a child of Jesus becomes the primary identity. And it sits over top of all the other identities. When, when the gospel starts to cultivate, you begin to see a realigning of priorities around God's priorities, around His mission. Now, your, your attendance here at church is because you want to get underneath the Word and you want to hear it and you want it to take root in your life. And your generosity is now because you want to be a part of moving the mission forward through the local church that God has brought you into. And now, you are looking for ways to share your faith because now the gospel priorities are your priorities. When the gospel starts to cultivate and the word take root, takes root in your heart, it is inside-out transformation. No one's making you do it. It's the Spirit of God within you that's changing those desires. There are different ways that you can receive someone at your front door. Maybe you've had a, one of those uh, salesmen come by. They tend to be solar, or they tend to be the bug man, or they tend to be wanting to give you windows. And you know what the amazing thing is? They're always working in my neighborhood. Like, hey, we're working in your neighbor's, your neighbor's yard, and we want to do it in your yard too. I'm thinking, I haven't seen your truck in the area, but okay. How, how do you tend to receive the salesman when the salesman comes to your front door? You might not receive him at all. <laughs> how many of you are thankful for those metal screen doors? That, like, they can't see you, but you can see them, and you can leave it closed, and you can say, oh, no, no, thank you not interested, there's a hesitation to receive the salesman at the front door. That's one way to receive someone. How about when a guest comes to your house? How do you receive them? They knock on the door. You're expecting them. You open the door. You greet them. You welcome them in. You, you've, you probably have some food that's prepared because you knew that they were coming. There, there's a, there are certain, there's certain etiquette maybe that a guest would have. They stay for a little while. They, they eat. They might hang out with you a little bit after the meal, but then eventually they're going to leave. They're not going to wear out their welcome, and you, you thank them, and they leave, and that's kind of how you receive a guest. But then there are friends, and you receive friends differently than you receive the salesman, and you receive friends differently than you receive the guest. As a matter of fact, oftentimes the friends don't even knock. Like, it would be offensive for a friend to knock. Like, just come in. Like, what are you doing knocking? And then you don't have any food prepared because you weren't expecting them to come, but you don't need to have food prepared. They're going to go make something. They're just going to go rummage through your cupboards. They're going to find your mac and cheese, and they're going to throw it on the stovetop, and they're going to they're make, themselves, make themselves some food. And then there's not really any etiquette. Like, they can stay as long as they want. They can leave when they want. They came when they wanted. Like, they didn't even tell you they were coming. How do you receive the word? Do you receive the word like that salesman? Kind of like, eh, kind of keep them at a distance a little bit. Not sure I really, really want to welcome them in. Do you receive the word like you might receive a guest under some conditions? Like you can come and you can stay for a little while and hear the expectations, but then you're going to need to leave. Or do you receive the word like that friend that doesn't even need to knock? And that friend can just come in, make himself, make herself at home. And they're welcome to do that. That's what James is getting at when he says receive this implanted word. It's already yours. It's already been implanted. You are a child of Jesus. You've been brought back to new life by the word of the gospel, but now receive it. Welcome it and let it cultivate in your life. I respond properly to the word when I give it entrance. You got to let it in. 
Then when I let it cultivate, it's going deep. It's starting to change some things. And then number three, when I live it out. When I live it out. Look at what he says in verse 22. But, in contrast here, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. He will flourish in his doing. Have you ever audited a class? You sit in that class and you receive the information, but you're never going to be held accountable for it. You don't have to take the tests. You don't have to do the projects. James is saying that you cannot audit the Bible. You cannot just hear it. You cannot just receive the information and then do nothing with it. When you receive it, you will be held accountable for it. So he says in verse 19, there's this warning, be quick to hear, verse 19, but now he's saying, don't just hear, but also do. Do what you have heard. You've given it entrance. You've let it cultivate. Now live differently because of what you have received into your life. It is possible for you to have a scripture journal or a note-taking journal that is full from your engagement with the Word on Sundays. It is possible for you to go to your life group and for you to have all of the right answers. It is possible for you to even stand up on a stage like this and either teach or preach the Word of God. But if you are not living differently because of that truth, James says, you have deceived yourself. This deception is different from last week's deception. Last week, the misleading lies, the one-degree lies that kind of lead us astray, this, this deception is different because this deception is on you. You have received it, you have heard it, and then you have chosen not to do it. You have deceived, James says, yourself. The order here is important. You can't purchase one of those nightstands from Ikea and then jump into page 7 of the instruction manual and expect that you're going to end up with a nightstand that looks like the picture on the front of the instruction manual. You've got to do, the, you gotta do it in, in consecutive order. So what's the order here? Well, number one, you've got to let the word in. Number two, you've got to let the word cultivate. And then number three, you've got to start doing what has been cultivated in your life. And unfortunately, there are Christians who just go to the word to try to figure out what they need to do. And there are churches that just stand up on Sunday mornings and they want to preach what you need to do. And, and unfortunately, that produces moralism or what's even worse is legalism in the life of believers or unbelievers because they're jumping to point three without going through points one and two. You got to let it in. You got to let it cultivate. And then as it's cultivated in your heart, you're going to start being a doer and not just a hearer. It starts to change you from the inside out. So you will live differently because of what you see in the Word. Pastor James here. I like to call him Pastor James because that's what he is. And it kind of helps me to put in context what he's doing. He's a pastor. And he's writing these letters. He's writing this letter to Christians and he's trying to instruct them. So he uses a lot of metaphors. He uses a lot of illustrations. And he uses one of his most famous ones here, a mirror. Now this mirror is not like the mirror that you and I probably looked into this morning. It would have been a polished, a highly polished metal. 
And he uses this illustration in verse 23. He says, if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he's like the man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the mirror, you look into the mirror. What do you see in the mirror? He calls the law the perfect law of liberty. It is the law, not the Mosaic law, but the teachings of Jesus' law. It is perfect because it reflects the very character of God. And it is the law of liberty because it is the law of freedom. I don't have to. I get to. I want to. And so the point here of this illustration, there are two scenarios. The one guy looks in, he sees himself, and then he leaves and he forgets what he saw. The other guy looks in to the mirror, the perfect law of liberty. He sees what's there, and then he leaves and he continues in what he saw. Now the point is not what the man saw when he looked in, either his natural face or the law of liberty. And the point is not even how he looked in, because there are two different verbs describing the way that this looker looked into the mirror. The point is what he did with what he saw. That's the point. Did he see something and then leave unchanged, or did he see something and then go live differently because of what he saw? So if you want to flourish, you have to let the word in, and you have to let it change you. And you've got to read the perfect law of liberty the right way. There are two different ways that Christians approach the Bible. Two different ways. The first way is that they read the Bible to see all that's, all that's wrong with them, all that's messed up with them, so that they can go and fix it. So they look into the Bible and they see all these things that are wrong and say, I need to fix these things and I need to go do that. That's the first way that Christians read the Bible. The second way that Christians read the Bible is they look into the Word and they see the gospel that is the good news of Christ and all that he has affected for us and changed for us and then they go live a different subsequent life because of the new identity that they have in Christ. One is all up to me, the first way, and the other is all up to Christ, the second way. And based on the size of this room and the number of people in here, I would venture to say that some, if not many of you, are reading the Bible the wrong way. You're reading the Bible to see, well, God, what's wrong with me today? So that I can go and fix it. Rather than looking into the gospel word that God has given to us and all that Jesus has accomplished for us, the good news of what he has done, and then the life that I am to now live as a reflection of that new identity. One is good news, the other is bad news because it's all about you. And I've heard messages preached. Goodness, I've heard messages preached. And they've used this illustration. And some preacher will get up and he'll say, you know, you got to look into the Bible. And when you look into the Bible, it's like that mirror in the book of James. And then they'll say something like this. Now, I bet you all went into your bathroom this morning and looked in the mirror. And you saw some stuff that was wrong. And you had some eye boogies and your hair was messed up. And ladies, you needed some makeup, and guys, you needed to shave. And so what did you do? You saw all the stuff that was wrong with you, and so you shaved, and you, and you combed your hair, and you cleaned yourself up, and that's, that's what James is talking about. That's not what James is talking about. 
He's not saying go into the Bible and look at all the things that are messed up with you. He's saying look at the Bible, look at the perfect law, and see yourself through the reflection of the gospel. Look at what Christ has already changed. Look at who Jesus has made you to be, and now live differently according to that. It's not about you going and cleaning yourself up. It's about realizing that Jesus has already cleaned you up. So be who you truly are in Christ. See the new person that Jesus has made you to be and then live differently because of Christ's change. Now, are you going to see some things that are wrong? Yeah. Are you going to see some things that you should start doing? Yeah. Are you going to see some things that you should stop doing? Yeah. But it's all because Jesus has already changed everything. Not because you need to go and clean yourself up because of all the messed up things you saw when you looked into the mirror. And that obedience will produce a radically flourishing life. And maybe you don't feel like your life is flourishing even though you are reading and trying to do the Bible because you're reading it the wrong way. And all the focus and all the attention is on you rather than on Christ and the good news of his gospel and the new identity that he has planted into you. So this is that big idea. Gospel flourishing happens when I respond properly to the word. Listen, I don't know this morning how you graded yourself, where you are on that scale of one to 10. But growth takes time. Don't be discouraged. Allow the Spirit of God to do a work. God has given you a means by which flourishing can take place in your life. So ask yourself this question, am I letting it in? Am I letting it cultivate? And then am I living it out? God wants you to flourish, and God wants that garden of the gospel in your life to produce all kinds of abundant fruit. And then he's given you this word, whereby that can take place in your heart. Well, this morning, we want to learn to live. We don't just want to learn to learn. We want to make application. So I've got three questions for you today. Number one, has the gospel been planted in you? You see, you can't grow until the gospel's been planted. If you are trying to grow apart from the good news of the finished work of Jesus, that is all on you, friend. And that will not lead you to the abundant, flourishing life that Jesus offers. So has the gospel been planted? Has there been a time in your life when you have realized that Jesus did it all and that by faith in his finished work, you could have the free gift of an eternal relationship of life with Christ? Has that moment taken place in your life? If it hasn't, listen, friend, today. Salvation is always in present tense. Today is the, the, the day of salvation for you. Not someday, not tomorrow, not when you clean yourself up, but today, right now, if you are here and you've not made that decision of faith, would you turn to Jesus and allow him to plant in you the good news of his finished work? Has the gospel been planted? Number two, if it has been, then what adjustments need to be made in the way that you respond to the word? Have you been arguing with it? Have you been trying to speak over it? Have you not been making time for it? Have you maybe been reading it, but you've not really allowed it to cultivate and take root? 
Have you been hearing it, but you're really not living differently because of what you've heard? You know all the right answers? If somebody were to give you a Bible quiz, you'd know all the characters, you'd know all the truth, but is the gospel actually being lived out from that truth? What adjustments does the Spirit of God need to make because of the Word today? And then number three, how are you sharing the Word? How are you sharing it? This gospel seed is not meant to be hoarded. It's not meant for you alone. But God has given to you a sphere of influence. There are people in your life that are not in my life. There are friends that you have that are not my friends. You have coworkers that are not anybody else's coworkers in this room. And so when we leave this room in a moment, you are being sent. The Spirit of God is sending you on mission for Him with the seed of His gospel. And He's calling on us to share that. The Spirit gives us boldness. The Word gives us confidence. And we speak. And we share. And we trust God to plant the seed in the hearts of others. But He can't plant what we are not sharing. Are you sharing Wherever you might be today in your journey with Christ, in your relationship with God, I can encourage you and assure you of this, that he desires the gospel to flourish. Let the word do what it does to produce that in your life. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for these moments. We thank you for this text, for this paragraph that once again, shows us all that you have done and all that you continue to do. I want to pray today that if there's somebody here that has not yet received that gospel word, that they have not yet allowed the word of God and the gospel of God to be implanted in their life, I pray that today by faith they would trust you. It is all about you. I pray for the Christian who has been striving in their own effort to produce flourishing in their life. They've been trying to do all the right things. They've been trying to say all the right things. They've been trying to have all the right answers. They've been trying to go to all the right events. They've been trying to show up where they're supposed to show up and everything they've been told to do, but the, the flourishing isn't happening because it's really all about them and their effort. Rather than receiving and welcoming in the word to do that deep work. Help us to be people of the book. Understanding it and applying it living differently because of what it says. God, will thank you for what you continue to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.